This is the One Thing Podcast, where we teach you the surprisingly simple truth behind extraordinary results. My name's Jeff Woods. I'm the vice president here at the One Thing team. In the last episode, episode 50, which is a big deal for us, 50 episodes in, oh, it's been so good. You got to meet someone very special, Gene Rivers. And this was just one of those episodes that was mind expanding. If you were taking notes, you wrote multiple pages of notes. If you missed that, go back and listen to that episode. I promise you, time block it. Make that one a priority. It was a good, it was a good one. So make sure you listen to that one. In this episode, we are going to share a keynote that I did. I was asked to go and speak at a local Keller Williams office here in Austin, Texas. And because I just want to add value, I went on over and spent about an hour with these people. Now, for for people out there, I want to give context. These are people that have read the book. Uh, They have lived the book. They have been trained on the book at a pretty high level. So most of the time, we went into Q&A pretty fast. You know, I had my idea of things I wanted to talk to, but right away I wanted to customize this and make this unique to them. So this is different from when, you know, a company normally reaches out to us and we have certain deck and thing that we follow. So this one was just a little more unique. And so it was a really good conversation. I want to apologize in advance for for the audio quality. My lav mic for about the first 20 minutes or so was awesome. The audio quality is great. The battery died. So luckily we were filming this simultaneously from an iPad. So about halfway through the episode, you're going to hear a change in audio quality. Really apologize for that. We're going to make sure we bring some extra batteries in the future when we do these keynotes. Um, If you're interested in having us speak at your next event, go to the onething.com slash about. You can fill the page out there. Um, But with that, let's get into this episode, which is my keynote at the Southwest Market Center. Eating healthy is an investment. It's an investment in yourself, but it also often requires an investment of your time. But good news is Factor has delicious ready-to-eat meals that are ever fresh and never frozen. They're chef-created, dietitian-approved, and ready to eat in just two minutes. With Factor, you can choose from a weekly menu of up to 35 options, including popular things like Calorie Smart or Keto Direction or Protein Plus or Vegan and Veggie. Also discover 60 more add-ons every week like Breakfast on the Go, lunch snacks, beverages to help you stay fueled, feel good all day. And we know our listeners here at The One Thing are focused on health and health goals. That's why we choose to partner with Factor. And if you visit factormeals.com slash 150 and use code 150, you can get 50% off your first month plus 20% off your next month. Again, that's factormeals.com slash ONE50 and use code ONE50 to get 50% off your first month plus 20% off your next month. Right off the bat, I knew that I was being assessed on three things from Gary and Jay. They looked up and they realized, okay, the one thing, it's become the highest rated business book of all time. They knew they wanted to turn into a company. But what would the person who could scale that company look like? What would the two to three things they could do exceptionally well be? Otherwise, they get fired, which is their, how they describe a job description, right? What's yours? What are the two to three things you must do exceptionally well? Otherwise, you get fired. For me, it's one, cast a vision. Two, lead with revenue. And three, recruit talent. Jay told me that that's how I was going to be assessed, and I had 90 days to prove it. I had to cast a vision, meaning create a business plan that Gary Keller would sign off on himself. Two, deliver $100,000 in revenue in 90 days or less. And three, prove that I could recruit amazing talent into our world. 
So I go, oh, okay. <laughs> Game on. Let's do it. So the day comes where I have my state of the company meeting with Gary and Jay. I walk into Gary's little private lair, and they're sitting at the table. It's just the three of us. And I remember putting down my business plan, which you guys know is a 135 or a GPS. At the top, I have one goal. I have my three priorities, and under the three priorities, I have my five strategies. And I remember starting with number one. Gary and Jay ask a bunch of questions about it. I answer them. I say, we good? He goes, yeah. I go, great. And I start talking about number two. About halfway through talking about number two, Gary starts asking more questions about number one. I don't think anything of it. I answer the questions. I say, we good? He goes, yeah. I go, cool. I wrap up number two. I start talking about number three. Halfway through number three, Gary starts asking more questions about number one. At this point, I feel like I'm the only one in the room who doesn't know what's happening, but I'm going to figure it out anyways. I answer the questions. I say, we good? He goes, yeah. I start talking about number three for probably no more than 10 seconds before Gary stops me a final time. He says, um, do you need to accomplish number three to accomplish number two? I said, no. He said, do you need to accomplish number two in order to accomplish number one? I said, no. He said, then do me a favor. Um, go ahead and draw a line between number one and number two, or even better, just rip the page in half. Don't even think about number two and number three until you've earned the right to by focusing on number one. Now, everyone in this room, I assume, has a certain level of ambition. You're probably a high achiever. You have big dreams for yourself. There's probably a lot of things that you feel like you should be doing. How many of you feel like there's a lot of things that you need to do every single day? All right. But are you hyper clear on that one thing that you absolutely must do? And if you don't do it, you don't earn the right to focus on anything else. And think about that language. You don't earn the right. That's what the one thing is all about. Now, out of curiosity, how many of you have read the book? No judgment if you haven't. Okay. Um, how many of you have listened to the podcast? How many of you have no idea what a podcast is? <laughs> no, I'm serious. I asked as a family reunion, and I could not believe the number of hands that went up. Okay, great. I want to make this interactive. I can stand up here and talk about what I think you need to know, but I'd rather flip it to Q&A as fast as possible and figure out what are those specific things that you are struggling with. That way, we can address your unique challenges versus me just trying to make myself feel good by talking about what I think is interesting. So give me some ideas. Of what are the things that you really struggle? And we'll go down those rabbit holes. Mary Daniels, where do you want to go? I'm <laughs> okay. How many of you have tried time blocking? Okay, cool. Um, and how many of you have made a habit of time blocking every single day and crushing every distraction that pops up and tries to steal your focus? Ah, interesting. Let's talk about that. I remember Gary told me, Jeff, time blocking is the one thing. If there's one thing that you really can master, it's this. It's why we built a course on it. Yet when we started training people on time blocking, we realized I knew that this was going to happen where hands go up, everybody's tried it, but nobody has actually made it a habit to the point where you do it every day and you crush all the distractions that pop up. 
Uh, what are some of the most common distractions that threaten your time block out of curiosity? Go ahead. Team leaders. <laughs> Notice how Wendy's not here either. Okay, she's speaking like an MCA, though. Let's Fair. Well, okay, so I have my assistant here, and what's the number one thing that distracts you? You. Yeah. Exactly. So what's our rule? Okay. Batch. So, and this is kind of where, when we talk about distractions, I did a call yesterday for our founding members for this membership platform we're, we're building. We started talking about distractions. Who do you believe is responsible for you getting distracted? Yourself, right? So um, phone calls come in from customers that distract you. Who's responsible? You or them? You are. Okay, we'll talk about why in a second. Uh, your boss or somebody superior to you comes up and violates your time block or pulls you out of the zone. Whose fault is it? Yours. Now, here's why. It comes down to, I believe um, all of us know that there's something to being an accountable person. Right? It's not, I need an accountability partner. You first and foremost need to be accountable. How can you, if the world is distracting you, uh, Jay said this to me, you have subconsciously taught the world that you respond to certain things. Example, an email comes in and you respond quickly. You are training the outside world that you are responsive to that channel. I'll never forget when I heard Jay Papazian say, I refuse to train the world that I'm responsive to this channel. I will get to it when I get to it. And I was just like, what? Okay. Your team leader comes up to you with a question. Like I would go up to Inez constantly with things that I needed her to do. She finally put her foot in the ground and said, Jeff, you want me to be successful, right? Yes, I do. Okay, you need to leave me alone. Batch the things that you need. We'll huddle and you can dump on me. Then I'll take it and I'll run. We've had to have this conversation several times, but it wouldn't have changed if she was not the person who was accountable to herself first and foremost, and she took control by managing that relationship. I'll never forget when uh, I was leaving KWRI, I was driving home and I was in the process of buying a house and I called Jennifer Lewis and I got patched a voicemail and her voicemail said something along the lines of, hi, you reached Jennifer Lewis. I look fabulous. Uh, If, 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 if this is after six o'clock, I may not be returning your call till the next day. Now, I'm the guy who's used to getting everything yesterday. My agent in California, when I bought my first house, would get back to me within a half an hour like clockwork, no matter what time it was. I loved that. And I remember hanging up the phone and having this real moment of resistance. But I need to talk to her. But then the little, you know, you have the angel and the devil on your shoulders. Like, do you really need to talk to her, Jeff? Yeah, you need to talk to her, but do you really need to? But I want you so bad, but do you need to? (sighs) The next day, believe it or not, um, you called me back, and um, I still got an awesome house. What do your actions look like on a day-to-day basis? Are you showing up in the world as the highest version of yourself, training the world when you will be available and when you will not be? How many of you is there area for improvement here with with your clients in terms of you actually having a life outside of just helping people find a home? an opportunity. I think the biggest thing with distractions and time blocking is first and foremost looking inward and asking, where's my DNA in this? How can I be doing better? Because the moment you accept that and you start taking those baby steps, 
is when you actually start to believe that you control your time, which you do. We've just subconsciously given it up. What are some other things that you struggle with as it pertains to time blocking before we go down a different rabbit hole? I think even just time blocking your free time, right? Like at home, I'm, I'm really guilty of responding to emails late at night. Like, mm-hmm. do you really need to do that or could I just been present? Uh-huh, absolutely. How many of you have ever been standing in the line at a grocery store where you had about 30 seconds? You're like, now's a great time to check an email. And you open that email and you see a bomb. And you go, I can't handle this right now. Oh, yeah, yeah, yes, I need a bag. Um, And then you move throughout the day and you're with your family and it's just occupying your mind share. It happens to all of us. For whatever reason, we believe that we, uh, and maybe it's seated in the fact that we don't want to disappoint others, but we feel like we have to get back to them. We have to be an email. We have to get to inbox zero. We have to call that client back yet you end up sacrificing so much more of yourself than you ever set out to. How many of you, when you try to time block, do you try to time block two hours or more at a time? An hour or more? Who doesn't time block at all? Okay. Working on the engagement. Well, I'll get you there. Don't worry. Um, I think one of the biggest challenges that people have faced, at least in our experience, is they bite off more than they can chew. You'll hear Gary say, you need to time block four hours a day to do your one thing. You need three hours of lead generation a day. You hear that. Yet how many of you have that habit of doing it every single day, like clockwork, and knocking out all the distractions that pop up in their wake? I don't even need it. Yeah, I'm good. How many of you believe that you can, for 10 minutes... Not check email, not check social media, ignore calls from your customer, and just lead generate. And you can do that five days a week. For 10 minutes. For 10 minutes, that's it, 10. Okay, great. How many of you feel that you can do that for 20? Keep your hands up. Like clockwork, 30. An hour. Okay, two hours. So (laughs) wherever your hand fell down is where you want to set that initial bar. I think so many of us look out and we see that person, oh, they're lead. we think they're lead generating for three hours a day. And we beat ourselves up because we're not. We're beating ourselves up because we get distracted. Let me ask you a question. How long can you feel like a failure before <laughs> you decide to do something different because you don't want to be a failure? That was a writer downer. That's good. That's a write that down. Yeah. How long can you continue doing actions and feeling like a failure before you decide to do something else so you don't have to think that you're a failure? Too long. For some people, it's too long. For some people, it's a matter of days. I'm going to go to the gym for an hour. I went for a half hour this morning. That's all it took to do my calves and my forearms, and I was out. That's not, that's not an hour. I feel like a loser. Or maybe because I did calves and forearms. (laughs) The next day, I go to the gym. The standard's an hour, and I do a half hour. I feel like a failure. The next day, I do 50 minutes. It wasn't an hour. Before you know it, I'm telling myself that I don't need to go to the gym. But what if you just reestablished what the mark of success was? The focusing question of the book is, what's the one thing I can do? such that by doing it, everything else will be easier or unnecessary. The key there is can, meaning not my wife told me to, I think I should, my team leader told me that I should. You actually can do it. 
you have the capacity to do it. How many of us are setting the bar for success too high beyond what we actually can do every day until the point it's a habit? Yeah. What if you were to lower the bar? One of my 66-day challenges was to meditate. And um, if you can tell, I'm not a low-energy person. And the idea of sitting and closing my eyes, the moment I did it, like the, the thoughts were just everywhere. How many of you have ever tried to meditate before? Yeah. And how many of you immediately were like, squirrel, and just you're off? Yeah. So, and my goal was 20 minutes a day. Yeah, I'm going to sit there zen for 20 minutes. Not happening. Two seconds in, I was out. But I reset what the bar for success was because I wanted to make mindfulness a habit to the point where it did not require discipline. It did not require willpower. I just meditate. I center myself. I figured every day at a bare minimum, I can do a minute. (laughs) I remember pulling into the parking lot at KWRI, parking the car and realizing, oh, I didn't meditate this morning. And then said, oh, I just need to for a minute. So I turned the car off and I meditated for a minute. And I was going, oh my gosh, I did it. X on the 66-day challenge calendar. And the next day, and the next day, and the next day, and the next day, to the point where now, I mean, I pop out of bed and I'm immediately on the floor doing 10 to 15 minutes. In between appointments, I'm usually doing about 30 seconds to try to center myself. I'm visualizing what needs to happen. I'm shifting my energy and just constantly throughout the day, it's just happening. And I don't even have to think about it. But it's because I first and foremost gave myself permission to reset the bar. If you believe that lead generation matters for your business, yet you feel like you're not doing enough of it, can you set the bar a little bit lower and prove to yourself that you can knock it out of the park day after day after day after day until the point where you no longer have to think about it? And then you can raise the bar. What does that look like over a lifetime? Look at Gary Keller. The man has been stacking habits for decades. It's no wonder he's been able to build what he's been building. You have the same opportunity in front of you. I think most of us just, number one, set the bar too high, and we want to chase the new shiny object all the time. I was in a mastermind with Gary. He said something that was really interesting. Do you know why he thinks that most people aren't successful? What are some ideas? Give up too quick. What else? Not clear on the goal. Great. Anybody else? This side of the room, that side's winning. (laughs) They don't prioritize. Fear of failure. What he said, I think those are all correct answers, by the way. What he said shocked me. Most people are not willing to endure the monotony of success. Is success downloading the newest app, trying the newest fad diet, trying the newest script, chasing the new shiny object every single week and constantly shifting focus? Or success taking a step back and looking at all the things that you could do, narrowing your focus down to the one thing that you really should do and just focus on knocking that out day after day after day after day. Who in here has been in in the real estate business for over three years? Okay. Is lead generation exciting still? Are you excited to hit the phones? No. But is that the one thing that you can do that makes everything else easier or unnecessary? 
Most, pil- most people will not ever get to taste the extraordinary because they are unwilling to endure the monotony of success. How many of you right now, when you reflect, it's, 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 it's Tuesday. How many of you this week already have told yourself the story that you can focus on something else that seems a little bit more exciting when you know you should have been doing that one thing? What's your one thing, folks? Is it on your calendar? Have you thought about it in advance? What are the things that are going to pop up and possibly distract me? Are you going to that team leader in advance saying, hey, for the next 30 minutes, I'm making calls. I know you're going to miss me. I'll be there after. Batch your questions. Do you set email autoresponders to tell the world that you respond to email from this hour to this hour and do not expect a response otherwise? Do you set your voicemail to let people know that you won't be returning calls after 6 o'clock until the next day? All these little things that you can do to begin to train the outside world. But I think a lot of us have this idea we think big, and the problem is we try to act big. We think of this vision of us lead generating for four hours a day and closing all these houses and, and living this type of balanced life. But then we try to act big. We try to do it all. How many days can you try to do it all and fail before you just stop trying because you don't want to be a failure? How can you think big and then act really small? This is one of those things from Gary that I learned that just continues to be more rich every day that I try to live it. The vision is big for what we're going to build, but my focus is incredibly small. Can I do the things that don't scale so that we can scale? Can I come here and talk to you with the hope that maybe one of you, literally one, will get something, take action, and get a win? Because I know if I can do that on a day-to-day basis, we will scale a thriving company. Think big, act small. How many of you have big dreams? How many of you try to act big and try to do probably more than you should? Yeah. It's all of us. So immediately take yourself off the hook. I'm still doing it. And I've been with Gary and Jay for a year and a half. I'm still failing. I'm not perfect. I'm not an expert. I'm just like you. But I'm getting better every day. Can you give yourself permission to fail? With the perspective that you just want to get a little bit better next week. And a little better the next week. And a little better the next week. That's what it's about. What are the questions you have? Mary Daniels. Do you feel like you've mastered time-loving? No, I don't think I ever will. Because what is the road to mastery? Is it a destination? It's a journey. I think I'm significantly better than I used to be. My, my experience with time blocking was like, like the Goldilocks story. I came in, started working with Gary and Jay, and if you looked at my calendar, it was a bunch of meetings that I felt like I had to attend that I never questioned. It was a bunch of tasks that I felt like I had to do, and it was reminders. How many of you have those things on your calendar right now? <laughs> All right, cool. So I was time blocking too little. Then I learned about time blocking. Oh, the one thing that you can do that makes everything else easier in essay. Gary says, do it. Okay, I'm going to time block every hour. (laughs) Every bit of every day. Blocked. Thinking of it in advance. I'm going to do it. Day one, didn't do it. 
<laughs> Day two, didn't do it. Day three, didn't do it. Then I stopped time blocking because I didn't want to feel like a failure. I was time blocking too much. But that's when the idea of the focusing question, the idea of thinking big but acting small came into play. I'm going to think big in terms of me being this type of person who truly can't control my time, who can say no to other people, other meetings, distractions, but I'm going to start really small. And this is what we've done in Time Blocking Masteries. We tell people, this is what time blocking is. Now I want you to identify what your one thing is that you're going to make a habit like meditating for one minute and just time block that. You get to put an X on your 66-day challenge calendar if you simply execute it on that. Not if you execute it on everything else. We're going to get you to start really small. And I got used to time blocking a minute. And then I got used to time blocking 15 minutes. And then an hour. And then it's at the point where you know we've got this membership platform that we're creating that we're going to launch the last week of June. And the other day I looked at her and said, uh-oh, I got a lot of work to do. Clear the decks. The only things that are allowed on my calendar are time with her, interviews for the One Thing podcast, occasional interviews with customers. That's it. If there's anything else on there, they're going to receive a push notification. <clears throat> Sorry, have to reschedule. When can you do it? And punt it to them to circle back to schedule. Because what happens is if somebody is going to ask for your most valuable resource, your time, do you think they are prepared to show up and get the most of it? Uh -uh. Usually not. Usually not. <clears throat> what happens if you say, hey, can't do it, can you circle back with me in 30 days? What percentage of them do you think actually circle back? Less than 10. Was it that important to begin with? Mm -mm. No one else is going to value your time, but you can. Yeah. So it started really small, and then over time, it's expanded. When you do this long enough, um, the idea of it being a habit kicks in. It no longer requires discipline. It no longer requires willpower. It no longer really requires thought. When you start assessing priorities habitually, you get to the point where all that 80% work, you kind of become allergic to. You just repel, you repel it. I don't want to deal with it. How did Jen Lewis prepare you for the, for the time when she said in her email response, I won't be getting back to you, basically? You with know? a bottle of wine. Well, <laughs> did, she prepare, did she prepare you ahead of time for that? It sounded like maybe not at first, but... Do you let them know ahead of time that you're going to do that? Because I think that's the fear that someone is going to see that in your email, that you're time blocking and they're going to feel rejected or that you don't have enough time for them in general. So how do you feel like you were prepared to stay on board with her? Uh, maybe it was a relationship that was deeper at that point. But Let me flip it. Okay. What do you think you should do? Being compliant, I would probably want to prepare ahead of time, help them understand why I'm time blocking, maybe in some way. Set an expectation that kind of thing. So they would understand right. why, that, that it's not that I don't have time for them or they're not important. It's that this time is protected sure. for things that I'll also be doing for them in the future. Maybe. And how would you go about doing that? Uh, I'm not positive how I would do it, but sure. I would think it'd be some kind of. I've never had a client ever, and I've been doing it for two years at least ever say that was really crappy of you to do that 
Because to me, it doesn't matter if you have kids or don't have kids. Like after 6 p.m., if you're not already a client, and I tell my clients when they are my clients, if it's an emergency, if it really is something that needs to be handled after 6, I'm going to talk to you, ignore my voicemail. But I'm going to eat dinner with my kids. I want to spend some time with my family. And you guys are probably doing the same thing, right? Like shake your head at them and they... Most people understand if you put it in that perspective that you don't have to true. And the after six thing is a little more easy to to say. If you're time blocking from nine to to eleven or nine to one or whatever. I just just wanted it out there. Are you talking about for email autoresponders how you can phrase that? Right, just so that people don't feel like they can't say that. Sure. Because they're going to turn someone off or Great question. lose a client. Um, how many of you were concerned about turning your clients off if you were to start saying no, even if for a short window? Cool. Thank you for being honest. I know all of you. <laughs> Voicemail. Here's what I've seen work from some of the people in our community. Do you have them sign an agreement when they want to list with you? When you are taking a buyer on, are you usually sitting down and setting some form of expectations? Could that be a good time to possibly mention this? Yeah, sure. Here's a script, something along those lines. Hey, I'm sure that you work hard and that you also try to find time to play and enjoy life, right? Yes. I do the same thing. Um, You know, I'm really committed to being an awesome dad. And know that just as much as I show up fully for my children, I'm going to show up for you. You will, we will find you an incredible home. What I want you to know is that when I am focusing on you, I'm on you. Delivering, 100%. Also, I hope you'll understand and appreciate and respect the fact that when I'm with my kids, I'm showing up for them 100%. So here's how I do that. After six o'clock, I I usually do not return calls till the next day. You'll hear a voicemail at some point. They'll say something like that. Of course, emergencies pop up. If it's really important, send me a text. I do have dinner with my family. I check the text to see if there's really any bombs. I'll circle back if it's needed. But I can tell you, after being in this business for however long, we have never lost a house because I didn't respond after 6 o'clock. Emails. You might see the autoresponder. I, cause, do you want me checking emails while I'm showing you a house? I don't think so. S- same story there. Um, I have an autoresponder on one of my personal emails. Uh, that says, I'm a part of this group of crazy people who believes they can actually get more done by not being in their inbox. Your message is important to me, so here's how this is going to work. I actually don't really check email, but I have a, a virtual assistant who's in here every single day. They're scanning it. They will respond to you, hopefully within 24 to 48 hours. If it's really urgent, call me, and I'll get back to you. Do you think it's urgent if they don't have my phone number? Have you ever emailed somebody because you really needed something and then you realized, I don't know if they're going to get back to me and you actually did something else to get a hold of them? Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing what happens when you start to tell the world no. It keeps spinning. <laughs> it, it's just like you teach people how to treat you, right? It's that bold line. We teach people how to treat us. And so I love that when you would say, and my, you know, with my kids, and this is my email responder, and this is my voice message, 
And so how would you like me to, how is your favorite method yeah. of communicating with you, mm -hmm. right? So then you're giving them permission also when you're setting that expectation, this is how it works for me, and now I'd like to know, how, do you like text, do you prefer, what's your preference of communication? Because it's it's a mutual thing. I wanted to just mention we were talking about challenges of, you know, um, you know, after six o'clock, sometimes the people you have to coach the most are the people you live with. Uh, I remember being a newly licensed person. My husband, the phone would ring at you know eight o'clock at night, and he'd be like, "Nelly, Nelly, aren't you going to get that?" And I'd say, "No, it's eight o'clock. I'm time with my little boys, right?" Mm -hmm. You teach people how to treat you, and it was never an issue, right? And of course, you listen if it's emergency. No, it's not. And so sometimes that's even just at home and setting yourself up for that. The other thing is with time blocking. You know, if one, one thing that I started as a new team leader, because I was not a good time blocker as an agent. I was just very entrepreneurial. But I had to be as a team leader, because you had to step up your game, right? Um, is that I would time block my legion, and then I would time block my appointments that I wanted to have each day. And if I didn't have that appointment, guess what? I have more legion time. And it, it's such a habit now, right? And I've been a team leader for 10 years. But just creating some system that works for you that's like, okay, and, and I think it's really unrealistic for some people in the room to think all of a sudden you're going to be lead generating for three or four hours a day. You're not going to do it. It's like you're going to set yourself up and you're just going to be so frustrated you're going to quit the business or you're going to fail. Yep. So, so set yourself up for something, like you said, baby steps. Mm -hmm. Some of our top producers said, I call five people a day. I have five great conversations a day and have four million dollar businesses it's about starting something so small like the one minute meditation that's so manageable that then it then from there it grows and I think that's the disconnect a lot of people have with time blocking is they think it has to be perfect now yeah. but you, it's a process right and that's it right. starts it starts today it doesn't start tomorrow it's like what is that one thing and I think everybody in this room knows what that one thing is yeah. well think big act small Right. If I were to tell you that this week your mark of success was that for 15 minutes you silenced the world and you made and you lead generated, would you feel like you're really moving the ball forward? Mm. Probably not. But if that over time stretched to 15 minutes a day, to a half hour a day, to an hour a day, to two hours a day, to the point where, you know, I remember sitting down with Chris Heller when he was still CEO of the company, and he said it got to the point. This is episode three of the podcast because we talked specifically about lead generation and time blocking for agents, especially the introverts. He said it got to the point where he knew or his assistant knew that if his wife called and said, the house is burning down, that she had to ask, did you call the fire department before she <laughs> went into his office? Think big, next one. Um, my question kind of goes off with with regards to not so the question was when you're forming habits, is it best to have a specific time of day that you do it that you try to commit to? Or do you leave it open? Um, the answer is going to be what works for you. I will tell you certain things. I know I'm going to be more successful if I do it right away in the morning, like my meditation, my morning priming exercise. I want to do it first thing in the morning because the benefits carry throughout the day. However, that's not the mark of success if I do it in the morning. I hold myself accountable to did I do it at all during that day. 
because there have been times where dinner's rolling around, I'm going, I forgot, and I'm tracking the streak. I'm like 67 days into growing. I don't want to break that chain. Right. And so I go, honey, you open the wine. I'll be right back. And I go into my office and I do my, my little meditation just so that I can keep the momentum going. And I think if you really do a good job of identifying what's the one thing that you can do, and you make it so small, uh, you will find the times to fit it in. Right now, I'm trying to transform our finances, and the one thing that I can do is simply to write down on a paper calendar how much money we spent for the day. That's it, and have my wife know about it. And the other night, it's 11 o'clock, I realized I didn't write it down on the piece of paper in my office. I'm brushing my teeth, and I go, oh, honey, how much money did you spend? Nothing. Really? <laughs> yes. Awesome. And I wrote it down on a piece of paper by my, by my uh, sink. And then I was like, okay, I, I at least did it for today. So, whatever's going to work for you. Can you talk a little bit about how you decide what to delegate? Because I think that's something that some of us struggle with, kind of letting go of that, taking control of everything sure. and delegating to somebody else. So is the real question what to delegate or how to let go? Probably <laughs> okay. So the question is, when you want to start using leverage, you want to start delegating, how do you know what to delegate? Um, kind of, again, like you don't need an accountability partner. You need to be a person who's accountable first. When it comes to leverage, you first and foremost have to recognize that this is like a muscle. You don't walk into the gym, go up to the weight rack and go, hundreds, I got this. It's <laughs> not how you start. You start with the fives, you work your way up to the tens. I remember a mentor of mine shared with me that if I ever wanted to be a millionaire, I had to start acting as if. And millionaires have assistants. Millionaires delegate. Millionaires know the value of their time in a productive dollar per hour, and they delegate everything that is lower than that. Okay, that's thinking big, that I delegate everything below that. How can I start small? I knew I needed to start flexing that muscle. What's one thing that I can delegate? Not even moving forward, like now. I just want to delegate it today. And I went on Upwork.com and I, and I found out I need to get social, I need to get graphics made for my new podcast. And I delegated it. <laughs> Got it. That built to the point where when I looked back, and this answers your question on how do you know what to delegate, I looked retroactively in my calendar for two months. I opened up an Excel sheet and I started noting all the things that were on there. Made a huge list. And then I asked the question, what doesn't need to be done by me? What's the 20% of these activities that's taking up the majority of my time? Email was one of them. Email was number one. That was the first thing I chose to tackle at scale. And I hired a virtual assistant, five bucks an hour, to check my email. How many email inboxes do I have? Four or five. And too many, right? I don't need to be in there. So I set parameters. Here's how I want you to go through these. This is what to respond. The stuff that we need responded to, put into this Google Doc. I'll review the Google Doc, and under it, I'll make notes that now the Google Doc actually goes to her, and I don't even ever see it. I don't actually check email, except for very specific emails, like with our founding members, where I'm saying, I'm going to read your email personally, and I'm on those personally. But she's gathering them. She's batching them for me. She's telling me, go in. Can you start really small leveraging? There are so many tools out there. Upwork, fancy hands, get leverage. These are all virtual assistant services. Pretty much anything that you can possibly think you need, you can outsource for pretty inexpensive. Start small. 
you, you mentioned the word entrepreneurial. I want to talk about the idea of going from P to P. Because I have a feeling a lot of people in this room are acting entrepreneurially. Um, who of here has heard of moving from E to P? Who here has not heard of moving from E to P? See, every hand should have gone up between one of those two. I'm, I'm not giving up on you. For those of you who are holding on, I'm coming for you. All right. Uh, it's one of the commitments in the book. The three commitments if you want to live an extraordinary life Moving from E to P is one of them. The first is commit to the road to mastery, that you will go on the journey for a lifetime to becoming a master of certain subjects. Committing to E to P and living the accountability cycle. We've talked about the first and the last one. We're going to talk about E to P. Most of us live life entrepreneurially, meaning we jump out of the plane and we build a parachute on the way down. <laughs> you wake up. It's, time, it's Tuesday. It's time to go out there and get some business. What am I going to do? I'm going to lead generate, and I'm going to call this person, and I'm going to go on that appointment, and that, I'll figure out what I'm going to do after that. You figure it out. How many of you figure it out on a daily basis? Cool. That's somewhere to start. But here's the challenge. If this is you, tried to make it very flattering, right? And that right there is your ceiling of achievement. How many of you, uh, at certain points throughout the last year, have started to make progress? But then you butt up against that ceiling of achievement and you start to go down because you're like, oh, I had a bad day, I need an extra bottle of wine. <laughs> then you, you get motivated, you get back up there, and, oh no, break back down. And, and this has happened over years. Yeah. Yet your production has remained stagnant. How many of you have ever experienced this ever in your life? Yeah. You move from being entrepreneurial to being purposeful. And this is where um, Gary has really shaped my mind. If you ever want to live a big life, if you ever want to have a big business, at some point you have to tell, realize, look in the mirror and be honest, that you can't just wake up and try to build the parachute while you jump out of the plane and fall on the way down. At some point you have to identify models. You have to identify systems that you can use. And you focus on working the system. Because when you do that is the moment that all of a sudden you break through that ceiling of achievement and what happens. The ceiling didn't go away, it just got moved. Got higher. Yeah. And if you want to get to the next level, you have to identify a new set of systems and you work the system until you're able to break through. If you want to finish this year strong, we're halfway through, can you give yourself permission to time block? Look at that, worked it in there. <laughs> 30 minutes on your calendar in the next two weeks to sit back, get in front of a whiteboard, and take a step back and look at your life and ask, where am I just trying to figure it out? Where am I taking this shotgun approach, just trying to make it work on a day-to-day -day basis? And can I bring, can I look out and see what the models are that are already working? Do we have models inside of Keller Williams? Oh, okay, so we got to check. We got no excuse there. Um, can you identify the one that's going to work for you? And can you begin to work the system? Because when you do, some tools for you guys before we wrap up. First and foremost, if you haven't read the book, I recommend it. If you've read it, I recommend doing it again. I'm listening to it for the third time now. I was listening to it in the gym this morning, and I'm still going... What did he just say? That was good. I'm still learning things because my understanding, my execution of the content is at a higher level 
And so it means new things to me. How many of us want to listen to an audible book on 2x or 3x speed? Because we want to get through the book. <laughs> For the last year and a half, I've been committing to mastering one. And it's been the most mind-expanding year of my life. It's a good one to master. For those of you who actually drive, how many of you drive regularly for your job? <laughs> God, I thought I was going to get everyone on that one. All right. Check out the One Thing podcast. Um, I looked up at the end of last year and asked the question, what's the one thing that we can do such that by doing it would add more value to all of you than anything else? And I realized that doing this podcast to record, to pull the curtain back and frankly share when we're failing to interview some of you on how you're wrestling with it, to reach out to the people that I respect who are my mentors, the people who are where I want to be and see how they're living it, that brings a new perspective. And it's it's been pretty good so far. It's in the top 50 of all business podcasts in the world. Awesome. And, and, that's, and that has nothing to do with me, by the way. It has to do with you guys. It has to do with the people who listen to it and share it. So I suggest checking that out. And then final thing, if you text the word founder to the number 33444, we're coming out with something in the next month. Um, we've been testing it, and it's been nothing short of remarkable with what we've been able to help people do when it comes to bringing purpose and priority into their actions every single day. So if you text that word founder to 33444, we'll reach out in about a month and let you know about it. My email is jeff at theonething.com with the number one. And I share that with you because I know 99% of you will never email me. You don't check it anyway. But, but, but the 1% that do, uh, those emails do make it to me because if there's one email that I do want to handle personally, it's email from you guys. I know if I can engage on a one-on-one -on -one basis and help you, it begins to snowball. That's my one thing is engagement. Email. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Well, there you have it, my keynote at one of the Keller Williams offices here in Austin, Texas. Uh, if you are interested in having us speak at one of your events, go to theonething.com slash about, and there's a speaker form there. Uh, folks, I love sharing this with you because these are real questions that people like you have. These are real problems that people have when it comes to living the book, and hopefully you can hear, um, I, we don't really claim to have it all figured out. I think a lot of people have stood up over the internet, puffed their chest out, said, I'm the expert, I'm the thought leader, I'm the guru, uh, but they act like they don't fail. You know, we're not just thought leaders, we're practice leaders. If we share something with you, if we teach on something, it means we're also living with it, which means we're failing with it. We happen to be on a road to mastery, meaning we are committed to getting better and better every day. And trust me, we are getting better and better every day. But by no means is it a destination. This is a lifelong journey. So I want you to understand that wherever you are, whether you're at the very beginning where you're struggling with a lot of this, or whether you've been living it for a long time, like Gene Rivers from the last episode, it's a journey. And how can you every single day wake up and get a little bit better? So hopefully today's episode, hearing this keynote, just gave you one idea of how you can live your one thing with a little bit more intention, a little bit more purpose, and get just a little bit better results today. 
Because if you can continue to get better results day after day after day, when we fast forward several years or decades together, you will find yourself living an extraordinary life. And that's our hope for you. So with that, thank you so much for listening. If you are not subscribed to the show already, please do so. Hit that subscribe button so all future episodes automatically get downloaded to your device like the one that's coming up next week, with is, which is a private conversation with one of you about battling distractions and accomplishing your one thing. And if you've left us a review, thank you. We love your emails about the episodes you've listened to, how you're taking action, and the results that you are getting. We are doing this because we want to leave a legacy and we want to help you. And that's because we genuinely care about you. So thank you so much for listening to the show and we will see you in the next episode.